As we continue going through this little book, this little letter that Paul had written to the Colossian church, a church that was um, dealing with false teachings and false teachers in the church, and um, the, the, the theme of the book of Colossians is the sufficiency of Christ, that Jesus alone, Christ alone, is our salvation. It's not found in what we do or don't do or what kind of music we sing or don't sing. It's, it's found in Christ alone. And, and too often I think that we, like the Colossians, sometimes forget that. We get caught up in this performance-based Christianity. That as long as I do certain things and, and do it enough, then God will accept me more. And, and, and when the simple truth that we need to understand is that in Christ, I am fully and wholly acceptable to God. And in Christ, I am fully and wholly loved by God. And, and so, and, and I have done this in my own life. There have been times when I have felt, you know, uh, things hadn't been going right lately. Maybe I'm not reading the Bible enough. Or maybe I'm not praying enough. And I, and I get to thinking that maybe it's based on me. And any time that my salvation or my growth in Christ becomes about me, I have gotten off track. And, and this is what Paul, uh, you know, in Colossae, the, the seeds of doubt were being sown as to whether or not what was offered in the gospel they had heard was enough. Was it enough? Is what Christ did enough? Is what they were being uh, challenged with? And it's what we're challenged with today. And Paul's response was to point out again and again and point them to the fullness that not only results resides in Christ because of who he is, but also uh, the promise that, uh, that we have in Christ to all who trust in him. Paul is saying, you know, he has said it time and time again, back in uh, chapter one, it says he is the image of the invisible God. Uh, in chapter two, it says, for in him, all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. We must keep Christ center. You understand that? The songs we sing must point to Christ. The messages we preach must point to Christ. If they do not, they're worthless. They're useless. And so this is what Paul, uh, you know, in, in the previous verses here in chapter 2, verses uh, that we looked at last week, we saw how Paul highlights both the aspects of that fullness in Christ in order to guard his hearers against being deceived and taken captive by ideas that lacked biblical foundation. Did you know... And this may come as a surprise to you. Did you know that your opinion is irrelevant? Did you know that my opinion is irrelevant? The only thing that matters is what we believe, what we teach, how we worship. Can it be backed up by Scripture? It must be backed up by Scripture. 
And anything that we attempt to do must have a scriptural foundation. And, and in, here in chapters uh, 2 and verses 16 through 23, Paul's intent is that the believers in Colossia, Colossae may be so strengthened in their faith that they would grow into healthy spiritual use, usefulness. Growth in Christ. This is what we, that is the sanctification process, the process of making us holy, making us like Christ. It's a growth that takes place that begins the moment you believe in Christ till the moment you stand in his presence. Whether that's two days or two decades. It doesn't matter. It's an ongoing process, but we are to we are to grow into to to healthy spiritual usefulness. There must be spiritual growth in the Christian life. There must be. And we're going to look and we're going to look here in a little bit at, at what Jesus had to say about this. But but think about whether whether that growth is, is extremely slow or happens quickly in your life. It doesn't matter. Growth is growth and there must be growth. I love to plant a garden every spring. I love to have flowers. I like to have vegetables and all this. And I have found that some things grow faster than other things. For instance, my tomatoes grow faster than my okra. The thing is, I love the okra more than I love the tomatoes. So I have to be patient and wait. But here's the thing. I love tomatoes. I love okra. One grows fast. The other grows slow. But they both grow. And they're both useful. So we cannot, you know, some, and, and I say that because there's been times in my life when I have stopped and I have said, Lord, what's going on? I don't see anything going on in my life. But then I look back later and I said, oh, yeah, there it was. But I didn't see it because it was such a slow thing. And I have seen it. So Paul is saying, you know what? As, as we grow in the Christian life, we must progress. And it is only uh, as we become aware of what impedes such growth that we will be able to overcome these the obstacles that are placed in our way. This is what was going on in Colossae. It's what was going on in Galatia. Uh, but but here in Colossae, Paul is saying, look, your spiritual growth is being impeded, not only by what you're being taught, but by those who are teaching it. And so he is telling him and he gives us some things here to look at some things that hinder spiritual growth. Look at verse 16. He says, therefore, that points us back to what he's already said. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in question of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. The these are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions puffed up without reason by the sensuous mind, and not holding fast to the head, from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through, through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God." Now, that's a very important part of that verse right there. We'll come back to that here in a minute. But here, Paul uses strong language and shows the degree of pressure that was being placed on these Colossians by the false teachers. The gospel 
was basically being reduced, and we have seen this happen in our world today. It was reduced to a simple list of do's and don'ts. Do this, you're saved. Do that, you won't be saved. And, 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 and this was a watered-down version, and it's a, 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 a version of the gospel of what Paul calls in Galatia another gospel. Because this is not how it works. It doesn't. This seriously hinders spiritual growth among God's people. And it will limit our effectiveness as ambassadors for Christ. You know, here, here's an interesting thing for you to remember as a believer in Christ. That once you have been saved, you are sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. That's what Paul tells us in Galatia, uh, Ephesians chapter 1. Once you have been sealed, you're God's. No one can ever snatch you out of his hand, ever. So my point being, Satan can never, ever have you, ever. But what he can do is hinder you. And this is what he seeks to do. And this is what, if, if, if the gospel, I believe, it's the gospel that the Bible teaches. And by the way, you need to understand that if I ever ask you, what is the gospel? And you say to me, well, to me, I won't hear another word you say. I don't care what the gospel means to you. You should not care what the gospel means to me. What matters is, what is the gospel? According to the scriptures. And so when we take the gospel and we reduce it to a list of do's and don'ts, it has become another gospel. It has become a gospel that is based on who? Me. Instead of Christ. That's what Satan wants to do. He wants to get people's eyes off of him and onto us. And so this, this, this hinders our spiritual growth. And here again, we see that uh, the Judaizers, those who were mixing Christianity and Judaism, that their influence, you know, that we talked about last week about how they were, they were doing the same thing here in Colossae that they had done in Galatia. They were saying that if you want to be saved, yes, you, mu you can be saved, but believe on Christ, but you also have to be circumcised. And now they were saying that if you want to be saved, yes, you must believe in Jesus, but you also must follow the dietary laws and you must observe all the holy days and 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 paul is saying no no this is not what the gospel does this is a gospel then that becomes about me paul says that these were only a shadow of the things to come i want you to imagine that you and i are standing outside and we're having a conversation the sun's shining our shadows are on the wall and I turn and have a conversation with you, but I look at your shadow and ignore you. That's what they were doing. That's exactly the, the, the foolishness. You see how foolish that would be if I'm doing it and I'm having this conversation. And Paul says, why are you looking at the shadows when the substance of that shadow is right in front of you? And it is Christ himself. Too often in the history of the church, these kinds of things have surfaced. Uh, the, the genuineness of a person's faith is often measured by their stand on drinking alcohol or their stand on smoking cigarettes. And I, I have seen this. Can I tell you something, folks? Did you know you can smoke a cigarette and still be saved? Did you know you can drink a beer and still be saved? Now, my granny's turned over in her grave hearing me say that. 
But you see, when I make when I say, well, no, if you're going to if you're going to be saved, you can't do any of these things or you're not saved. Then I have made your salvation about you and about me. The faithfulness of a church is often gauged by the style of worship. Is it contemporary? Is it modern? Is it traditional? And, you know, depending on who you talk to, they'll say, well, if they if they if they have praise and worship music, then they must be a real spirit filled church. If they have hymns, they're a church full of old people. And therefore they're lacking. Is that true? No, it's not true. <clears throat> I want to tell you something. If the style of music we sing determines whether you can worship or not, then you don't know what worship is. Now, you know, I grew up, I, I, I love the hymns. That's my favorites. They're full of, of theology and all of this. But, you know, there are some, um, I don't know whether you would call it praise and worship music or contemporary or whatever, but I love it. You know, if you've never listened to Sovereign Grace music, that's some of the most beautiful music in the world. And, and they're, they're more traditional, I mean, more contemporary. But my point I'm making is this, what they were doing in Colossae, Paul was saying, why are you allowing them to tell you that, that the only way to gauge whether you are a true Christian or not, the only way to gauge whether you're a true church or not, is dependent on, do you do this? Do you do that? Do you not do this? Do you not do that? The only gauge is Christ. That's it. You understand that? That is it, what Paul is saying here. Uh, the type of issues uh, that, that do not distinguish between a true and a false church or a true and a false Christian is not whether they smoke or whether they drink or, uh, or whether they chew or whether they go with the girls that do. Y'all have heard that before, right? The issue is Christ. The ultimate test is Christ. And that's what Paul is trying to point them to. Christ in terms of who he is and what he's done is the key to true biblical Christianity. Anytime we have a gospel, anytime we have a worship service that points you anywhere but the cross of Christ is worthless. It's worthless. Not only what he has done and who he is, but what he continues to do today. This, because Paul has reaffirmed Christ as being the essence of the gospel and the sole focus of our faith. You know, if you go back to chapter 2 and look at verse 6, he says, Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus, so walk in him. So Paul is saying that if you want to truly know how to walk with Christ, look at how you got to Christ. How do we get there? How do we become in Christ? How do we, how do we become in union with Christ? It's an easy one. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. It is by faith that we have come to Christ. So if we, that's how we came to Christ, then how are we to walk in Christ? By faith. By faith. This is, this is simple gospel 101 here that he's talking about. And, and Paul says, you know, all these things, all this, this, this eating and keeping these certain days, they are, they are simply a shadow pointing us to Christ. 
and their salvation would be found not through the observance of rules and regulations, but in a living relationship with Christ. Today, there are countless churches all across the world, and they think that they have access to God. They think that they have been accepted by God simply because they do certain things. It's called religion. You know what religion is? Religion is my attempt to reach God. You know what Christianity is? It's God coming down to me. By the way, my attempts to reach Him will fall short every time. You know, there's an old song that says, He came down to my level when I couldn't get up to His. And that's exactly what He did. In Jesus Christ coming and taking upon Himself human flesh and dying upon a cross, being that was Him taking our place. Did you know that? He was our substitute. The sin that He died for was yours and mine, not His. And so here is Paul is saying... Stop looking at the shadow and look at the substance. Keep your eyes upon Christ. Why settle for things that were only uh, meant to ref be reflections of the good things to come and not see that God wants us to enjoy the great reality that is found only in Christ? There are too many who are grabbing the shadows and missing the reality of who Christ is. I believe that in our churches today, I believe in my own life today. Have you ever had those times when you think, Lord, my joy is gone. My peace is gone. Lord, what's going on in my life? What am I doing wrong? Did you know that many times you may not even be doing a thing wrong? You know, anytime you ever get to thinking, why me? Read the book of Job. Read the book of Job. Anytime you get to thinking, Lord, why me? And God says, why not you? But what Paul here, he, he's saying, look, the reality is... There are a shadow of things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. And I have one of the things that I think that we fail to understand is this right here. Jesus said, I am come that you might have life and have it abundantly. Do you have abundant life? You know what? Look down in chapter 3 of, of Colossians and verse... Uh, Four, Paul says, when Christ who is your life. See, here's what I think we miss. Jesus didn't just come to give us life. He came to be our life. He didn't come to just give us joy. He is our joy. He is our peace. He is eternal life. You understand? So when you have him, what do you have? Everything. Everything. 
I read a story here a while back, made me, I thought about it while I was preparing this message about this wealthy man who was a great, who was a, a, an avid art collector. And he loved to collect the greatest works of art. I mean, by Da Vinci and um, oh, I can't, I'm not an art person, so I don't know the names. You know, it, it wasn't none of the, the, the black velvet Elvis paintings. That wasn't what he wanted. He liked the, the really nice art. And he had this mansion that was just decorated with these. And, and, and the man had a son. And, and the son was mentally challenged. But the father loved his son. And his son was, he knew his father loved art, so he was always drawing. You know, and, and even as a... As a Young adult, his drawings, you know, look like a little child, but his father loved them and his father would put them on the refrigerator and frame them and put them in his room. And, and the time came when <clears throat> the father passed away. And so there was going to be a large auction, auctioning off all these beautiful works of art that this man owned. And, and the people were there and they were ready to go. And the auctioneer, he banged the gavel and he said, okay, this auction is, is now in progress. And he said, the first item up for auction, and, and he brought and they set this little framed picture that the man's son had drawn. And he said, what am I bid for this great work of art? And everybody was booing it and said, hey, you know what? Get rid of that trash. Bring out the we want the real stuff. We want you to start with the, the expensive and the, the famous paintings. You know, get rid of that. And the man said, no, this must go. What am I bid for this? What am I bid for this little drawing right here uh, that is framed? And, and, and eventually a man in the back, he spoke up and he said, I'll give you $10 for it. And the man in the back was the man who was the gardener for the witch man and his son for years. And he said, I'll give $10 for it. And the auctioneer said, is there any more bids? He said, going once, going twice, and sold for $10. And then the auctioneer stood up and he said, ladies and gentlemen, that concludes our auction for today. And everybody was throwing a fit and saying, wait a minute, what about all the great works of art? What about all this other stuff? What are you going to do? And he said the man had stipulated in his will that whoever bought this got everything. Whoever received the son's work received everything. Isn't that a beautiful picture? But that's exactly what Jesus, what God does. He says, whoever receives my son has everything. It's all his. And then, so Paul is, he, you know, in Galatia, when Paul wrote his letter to the Galatians, you could hear anger in Paul's voice because he was mad at the Galatians. And he was saying, you foolish people, what in the world's wrong with you? How could you listen to this having already known what the truth is? But here in Colossians, he's saying, look, guys, I love you. He's not angry here. Because I don't think this had permeated into as far into this church as it had in Galatia. But, but he's saying, look, these are a shadow, but the substance is Christ. He says, let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions, puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind. 
It's not just the particular influences themselves that would be the source of concern, but the individuals who lie behind them. That word asceticism, that means a false humility. It means that they were, they were putting on what they really were. It gives the idea that observance uh, of these certain things are a means of gaining virtue before God. And, and in the eyes of others, it reminds me of the Pharisees. You know, everywhere the Pharisees went, they wanted to be noticed. Whenever they would give money, they would have a, a, a little person there who would blow a trumpet. And everybody heard that trumpet. They knew the Pharisee was giving out money for the poor. They always wanted to be. You remember when Jesus told the story about the, Paris, the, the, the Pharisee and the publican who went up to pray. And, and the Pharisee said, Lord, thank you that I'm not like other men. Lord, I'm a faithful church goer. Lord, I give my tithe every week. Lord, I sing in the choir. Lord, I, I, I do everything I can for the church. Lord, aren't you glad you have me? Do you realize how lucky you are? And it says that the publican would not even look up and he just said, Lord, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And Jesus said that man went home justified. But these false teachers who would come in, they were saying, look at us. Listen, you don't realize we know more than you do. You're not as learned as we are. We have secret knowledge. That's what the Gnostics taught, that they had a secret knowledge that nobody else had. Paul says there was a worship of angels, a, for, a fascination with the unseen world, and it gives the idea of going through someone else in order to get to God. That remind you of anybody? Called Roman Catholicism? Of going through Mary to get to Jesus, or, or, or going through the saints, or going through the angels, all this worship, all these things. Anytime that, that, that we preach and we say that there is any way to, Christ, to God except Christ, we're off the bar. We're gone. We might as well sit down and, and, and be quiet when we say this. He says that they, there's asceticism and worship of angels. They are puffed up without reason by his sensual mind. They have, they have supposed private revelations from God. Listen, I, I can't tell you how many people that I have known personally that would tell me, you know, it's a good thing you have me here. You know, God sent me here on a mission. God has sent me on a mission to make sure you are straightened out that you walk the narrow way. That's my, that's my purpose. I've heard people say that to me. And I want to tell you that is the height of spiritual arrogance and pride. And that's exactly what these false teachers were doing. They were coming in saying, look, we're smarter than you are. God sent us here to put you on the right track. Because you don't know God like we do. And this is what they were doing. And, and, and Paul is saying, you know, all three of these influences drew attention away from Christ and towards the people. It's a form of self-promotion. This is what was going on. 
But in verse 19, he says, and not holding fast to the head. Who's the head? Christ. You notice we, we talked last week, if you go back to verse uh, 8 of chapter 2, he says, see that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. And here he says, and not holding fast to the head. The most important thing about spiritual growth is that we must understand that it is a growth that comes only from God. That's what he says at the end of verse 19. Grows with a growth that is from God. It is not from man. It is not from methods. It is not from programs. It is not from practices. It comes from God himself. And any growth of the church that is real must ultimately be a supernatural work of God in the hearts and the lives of his people. Let me ask you a question. You know... Somebody told me the other day, they said, you know, in the last month, it seems that we've, we've experienced a revival here in this church. And I agree with that. But they asked me, they said, you know, how can we, how can we carry this through? And I'll tell you how we can carry this through. That tomorrow, some point during the day tomorrow, you find a place and a time to get on your knees before God. With an open Bible. Every day. Every day we must do this. But, but you see, this is that, that's where that growth comes from us being in Christ. We are not saved by our own efforts and we will not grow in grace by our own efforts. It is only as we get into the Word of God, as we get on our faces before God and get in His presence and say, Lord, change me. Lord, change my heart. We like to say, Lord, change that person over there. You know, I have found that a lot of times when I preach, and, and, and I guess every preacher, he encounters this, is I will say something and I will say, you know, this is a sin that is in our life that we must deal with. And people usually say, I hope so-and-so is listening to this. <laughs> or I wish so-and-so was here. They needed to hear that. When many times God is saying, did you hear it? <laughs> did you hear it? <clears throat> it is growth that is found in being in union with Christ. Turn with me to John chapter 15. John chapter 15. Jesus is on his way to the cross. The next day, probably he will be crucified. But he's talking with his disciples before he leaves. In John chapter 15, beginning with verse 1, he said, I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. <clears throat> every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. Now I have these next few words underlined in my Bible. 
For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit. And so prove to be my disciples. Now remember what verse 8 said right there. For this is my, for this my, by this my Father is glorified. That you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. In these first 11 verses, Jesus distinguishes between those which abide in him as opposed to those who only appear to abide in him. And what is the key? Fruit. Fruit is the key. Somebody has said, you know, you cannot judge another person's heart. And they're right. I cannot judge your heart. You cannot judge my heart. I'll tell you what I have been told to do by Jesus. And what you've been told to do. We have been told to judge fruit. Jesus said, by their fruit, you will know them. So fruit is the key. And, and Paul here in Colossians, when he says, and not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments grows with a growth that is from God. Jesus said that in order for me to grow, in order for me to bear fruit, what must I do? Abide in him. You ever heard that word abide? Have you ever had somebody say, you know what? Welcome to my humble abode. You know what that means? Do you know what I do in my abode? I live there. So when Jesus said, abide in me, what's he saying? That that's where I'm to live in Christ. Growth in Christ is not for an elite few who have been initiated into some spiritual circle. Paul was passionate about the corporate character of the Christian life. Corporate worship together, corporate prayer together is important. Corporate worship is important to us as individual Christians. Yes, I am to worship God in my private time. But you know what that does? That enables me to come together with you. And when I'm worshiping, and she's worshiping, and she's worshiping, and she's worshiping, and he's worshiping, and he's worshiping, and we're all worshiping together. You see, there's not, there's not anything special that takes place when we all gather together what happens is when I am worshiping God every day of my life, and when you are doing the same, and then we come together, we're just putting it together. You see how that works? There, 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 you can worship God. I can worship God with that tiller in my hands in that garden as much as I can standing right here. Now, I've heard people say, well, you know, I can usually worship God better there than I can here. And if you believe that, then you don't know what the Bible says. Okay, that's just that simple. I just want to throw that in there. That's free. All right? That didn't cost you nothing. But Paul was passionate about this. But, you know, we, we have to understand that 
And, and I say this because I see this so prevalent, not just in those that we consider to be false teachers and false churches, but I see this in, in, in regular church, everyday churches, the good churches. I must be a good Christian because I go to church every time the doors are open. I must be a faithful Christian because I read my Bible every day. But you see, we have it backwards. Because you see what I'm saying is, what I'm saying is, because I do these, I must be a good Christian. You understand how that's work, okay? When what we should be saying is not, I'm an, I, I must be an obedient Christian because I go to church. When what I should be saying is, because I'm obedient, I'm going to go to church. And I go not to be, but because I already am. See how that works? How much difference that makes? And, and, and we, we, we so easily get off, and this is what these Colossians, he says, and not holding fast to the head. We must hold on to Christ. We can never, ever get to the place to where we do this on our own. The Christian life is to be a shared life as part of God's family. Did you know that you need me? Did you know that I need you? We need one another. I need you praying for me. You need me praying for you. We, we, we need to gather. And Paul says this is what happens when they start. When they start, you know, in, in 1 Corinthians, there was some issues going on in Corinthians because some were saying, well, I'm a Paul or I'm a Paulus or I'm of this one. And Paul said, what's wrong with you people? Must be where R.C. got it. He said, what's wrong with you people? He said, did, did Paul die for you? Was Apollos uh, buried for you? Did he raise from the dead for you? Paraphrasing what he said there. But what, what Paul's point was, what's wrong with you people? Why are you looking at us? Look at Christ. And you know what happened as a result? You know, every see, sometimes we have this romanticized view of what the early church must have been like. I mean, everything they did was perfect. Everybody loved each other. There was no problems. Yeah, you read the Bible, folks. Especially in the church at Corinth. Paul says, what's wrong with you people? He said, you have sexual immorality going and you're doing nothing about it. He said, you had divisions among one another. He said, I know why all this is. It's because you've taken your eyes off Christ. And put it on each other and put it on people. And, and this is what Paul is warning the church here about doing. Uh, the, the, the same detail is one of those the, that needs to be most highlighted for many Christians and churches today. The idea of a Christianity that was merely private and personal was something unheard of in the Bible. Yes, there is a time in my life that I have a private time of worship with God. But if that's all I ever do, then I'm in trouble. And so are you. I heard about a preacher that went and visited a man one time, and the man was sitting there in front of his fireplace. And they both sat there for an hour and never said a word. 
And the preacher noticed that one of the coals had fallen out of the fireplace, and they both watched it, this red, burning red coal. And they both sat there and watched as it began to cool and turn black. And the preacher reached down. And, and by the way, this was a church member that hadn't been to church in a while that he was visiting. And the preacher reached down and picked that coal up and threw it back in the fire. And they saw it glow and begin to... And the man looked at the preacher and he said, I got it. I'll be there Sunday. <laughs> this is what we need to understand. God's people are bound together in Christ. And the key to genuine spiritual well-being and growth is inseparably tied to our being bound together as God's people. And it is only as we hold on to Him as the living head that we will grow in fellowship with Him and with one another as His people and know the joy of being useful to Him. To know the joy of bearing fruit. Bearing fruit, isn't that wonderful? Look at verse 22. Paul says, if with Christ you died. Now, now, now notice what he says there, if with Christ you died. To the elemental spirits of the world, why, as though you were still alive in the world, do you submit to the regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. Referring to things that shall perish as they are used according to human precepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. <clears throat> have you ever seen... You know, there's there's a lot of movies that's been made about this where you see these monks and these uh, these people that Martin Luther used to do this. They would take and they would physically harm their own bodies in an effort to purge themselves of their sin. Now, we look at that and we say, well, that's ridiculous. Why would anybody do that? But did you know that you and I do it all the time? We do the same thing all the time. But, but maybe we don't mutilate our flesh. But I say, you know, I really want that hamburger. <laughs> I really want that Whataburger. You know, there's a difference in a hamburger and a Whataburger, right? You promise me, when you walk in the gates of heaven, you'll look up and see that spinning Whataburger sign. Listen, I really want that. But I can't eat that because, you know, if I do, I'm just afraid that God's, you know, His Word says that, that, that I shouldn't eat stuff like that. So I'm not going to do that. Listen, when Jesus said, whoever desires to come after me must deny himself. Take up his cross and follow me. That is not what he was talking about. You understand that? That is not what he was talking about. Paul is talking about a different kind of self-denial. It's a self-denial that says, because I'm not going to eat that hamburger, God will accept me. God will love me. Is that true? No. 
No, it's not. But that's what they were thinking. That's what they were doing. Uh, it, it, is, it is only as we hold on to him. And the ascetic is one who lives a life of vigorous self-denial. But as I said, this is not the self-denial that Jesus talked about. This is something completely different. The, 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 the kind that Jesus talked about, he didn't say, if you will deny yourself, then you can come and follow me and be my disciple. That's not what Jesus said. Said. What Jesus said is, because you have taken up your cross, because you have followed me, you will deny yourself. But he, the denial is that, that, that when I am faced with those temptations to sin, I say, no, I don't have to do that anymore. I'm no longer bound to that anymore. Read Romans chapter 6, where Paul says, "What shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? He says, God forbid. How can we who died to sin, did you notice what Paul said right here in verse uh, 20? If we, if with Christ you have died. And Paul in Romans 6 says, how can we who died to sin still live in it? This is the this self-denial. But, but here, uh, the, the ascetic is one who says, you know, I am such a humble person. And can, can I tell you something? Do you know that the most, un, I don't know how to say this. I'm going to say it the only way I know how. Do you realize that the only, that the most unhumble person you will ever meet is the person who tells you how humble they are? You realize that? <sighs> These believed in a righteousness that was obtained by doing and not doing certain things. This is what they were doing. And, and through our union with Christ, we as believers, we are set free from these man-made rules in, in, that are designed to promote spirituality. Note that Paul calls it here a self-made religion. It's a religion based off what I think it's, it is, rather than what the Word of God says it is. With Christ, we have died to this world. We have died to these, uh, the works of this world. And you know, at the end of verse 23, he says, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. We can have peace knowing not just that our sins have been forgiven and our guilt has been removed, but that we are actually making progress in the spiritual life. When you get saved, you will not stop sinning. It's impossible while we're here in this flesh. But you show me someone who is in, 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 engaged in open sin who says, I have an excuse or I have a reason. And I will show you someone that has no idea what salvation is. Spiritual growth means that I'm going to struggle with my sin. You know, I named this the title of this message this morning, Pilgrim's Progress. How many of you read that book? You know, it's the second best-selling book in the history of the world. I try to read it at least once a year. But throughout the book... Pilgrim, Christian, he finds it's an allegory about the Christian life, but that John Bunyan wrote from prison. But in the book, 
Pilgrim is constantly at war. Constantly at war. He's constantly having to be careful where he steps, where he goes. Make sure he stays on the narrow path that leads to eternal life. It's no different for you and I today. But if we're going to progress in the Christian life, if we're going to grow in the Christian life, number one, we must understand we have to do it together. We have to. I need you. You need me. We need to encourage one another. We need to, to love one another. But you know what that also means? That means that when you see me step across the line, you grab me and you jerk me back over there where I belong, no matter how mad I get, no matter how unloving it may seem. We need one another. And the bottom line in what Paul's saying is that laws and religious, uh, whether they are religious or otherwise, can never in themselves make us better people. Can never make us better people. As a matter of fact, Paul said, it's the law that shows me that I'm a sinner. The law condemns me. The law says, unless you obey me perfectly, you're going to die. That's why Paul could say that we all fall short of the glory of God. And that the wages of sin is death. But our union with Christ in his death is how we put sin to death. You know, John Owen, one of the greatest Christian men that's probably ever lived, a Puritan, has a book called The Death of Death in the Death of Christ. Did you know that when Jesus died, death died? When Jesus rose from the grave, because death had no power over him. Our union with Christ in his death. You want to know how to, how to win that battle in your life over your sin? It's only as you are united to Christ that you can do this. And Paul is pressing home the fact that through our death with Christ, we are brought under his lordship and given the ability to actually deal with the sin in our lives. Now, that, 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 that's going to continue, as I said, till the day we die physically. Till the day this body ceases to finish, till the day that this flesh is physically dead. But Paul says, I can live as if this flesh is already dead. Why? Only as I'm in union with Christ. Do you understand that, that Paul's whole push here, that, that he's done from the very first verse of the very first chapter, is pointing them to Christ. To saying, stop thinking you're somebody. Stop thinking you can do this. And start looking at Christ. And that's when you, you will abide in Him. And that's when you will grow. And that's when you will bear fruit. And you know what? That's what we're called to do. Remember what Jesus said in John 15? He said, those who don't bear fruit... By the way, do you know who the ones are that don't bear fruit? Those are the ones that are not connected to the vine. They're not going to bear fruit. 
He says they will be thrown into the fire and burned up. Sometimes I look at my life and I say, Lord, I, don't, I just don't see any of this fruit. Where's this fruit? And the Lord has more than once gently reminded me. I didn't say it'd be a lot of fruit. I just said it'd be fruit. There are some who bear a hundredfold, some 50, some 60. But the point is bearing fruit. Are you bearing fruit for the Lord? Can you look at your life and see fruit? Now, I remember one time I pastored a church and I went over to visit with this couple. I was a new pastor. And I went over to visit with them and... Uh, sat down there at the kitchen table and it was a little after lunchtime and I didn't get to eat lunch and man them grapes just looked so good so she turned her head and I popped one in my mouth yep I popped that plastic grape right in my mouth <laughs> but it looked so real make sure our fruit is real and the only way you can do that is when you keep your eyes on Him and we abide in Him, stay in Him, be united to Him by faith, we walk with Him. And Paul says, Jesus is enough. Let's pray. Father, Lord, we thank You this morning that Jesus is enough. Father, we thank You that even though our struggle is real with sin, we know that ultimately the victory will be Christ's. So, Father, may we <clears throat> this morning determine where our lives are, Father. Are we bearing fruit? Are we, are we bearing real fruit? Father, have we this morning believed on the Son of God? Have we become united to Him? And in Him received everything. Lord, I pray that You would help us to remember each and every day that Jesus is enough. And Father, not to put my eyes on myself or anyone else. Not to put my eyes on my own works or my own accomplishments or my own failures. But to just look at Jesus and be content. In knowing, Father, that He has done everything necessary. Not only to save us, but to keep us saved and to bring us safely all the way to the celestial city. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand. Turn to page.